Are you the quantum mechanics? Yes, we're the quantum mechanics. We're the paranormal podcast for the believers, the doubters and everyone in between. And uh, it's a really rainy, miserable day today, um, recording. So uh, it's nice to be in the room and doing something else than looking at the rain. (laughs) It is. It's kind of, there's a warm glow in here. I've just arrived at your house about 10 minutes ago and uh, the heavens opened. I got soaked. And as happens to a lot of middle-aged men, I had to stop and find a loo along the way because all that rain just... <laughs> it just set you off. It just set me off, yeah. Yeah, I had to stop at the BP station down the road. <laughs> it was too much. Uh, for, our, for our listeners who don't know what the BP station is, it means big P. <laughs> <laughs> it sort of does. Yeah, it sort it of does. does. Yes, it has the nicest toilets between my house and your house. <laughs> Apart from the Catrasaison, but I wasn't going to pop in there for a meal. Yeah, that would have... That would have he wouldn't have turned up. Where's Ben? He's, <laughs> he's tucking into his fifth course. <laughs> oh, it would have been delicious, though. It would have been delicious. I also uh, wanted to thank our listeners, actually, Ben, which I feel feel we kind of do, but I feel it's always worth thanking them because um, it's bank holiday coming up. Well, actually, when you're listening to this in the UK, we're bank holiday, and then we've got another yeah. one because of the, um, the King's coronation, and it's... Yeah. Um, we did have a little debate, didn't we, Ben, about can we, can we, should we just keep going, keep doing episodes? Um, but I think we've had lots of listeners listening to us, lots of great feedback, lots of people watching our stuff on YouTube. Uh, I think that's that's helped. You know, we won't. We we decided we are going to do episodes. We're not stopping um, for the bank holidays. But it, it it's good when you get that that kind of I don't know what the word is momentum to keep momentum. going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so thank you all of you. Listening. No, to, to be clear, that wasn't an existential. We might stop. It was just that, yeah, yeah, um, for the couple of weeks. For, for the couple of weeks, and maybe put out some other ones. But then um, you've been so good in recommending. You obviously have been recommending us to friends again we've had another record breaking month and uh it just keeps um it keeps you going and makes you want to do it so um i'm doing this before i disappear down to suffolk and if you don't know where suffolk is if you're not in the uk it's just a very beautiful part corner of the world where they brew a lot of uh beer and fish a lot of crabs and I intend to fully indulge in both of those things. <laughs> I was going to say, you're going to keep combine those two elements. <laughs> so I'm going to get some crabs really drunk. <laughs> yeah. Crab brew. Um, <laughs> brilliant. Okay, I just wanted to um, say that because, th- you know, we don't say it enough and we do appreciate you listening, so thank you. No, thank you very much. It's, it's funny that um, I started this talking about bodily substances, which is a very poor way of getting into a podcast. <laughs> but... Um, I was promoted last week an event that happens in May which celebrates the 126th anniversary of the publication of Bram Stoker's Dracula. Oh. Yeah. And we have we've spoken a bit about vampires including the infamous episode. Yes. yes. That we're not allowed to talk about why it's infamous. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but to get oh, I mean it's still up there if you want it's to still listen up there. to it. It's uh, the one about the Highgate vampires. We uh Yes. Uh, I was going to say a few people, but I think one person got very upset about it who we talked about on the podcast. But um, it was an early one. It's an amazing story if you've never heard about it. It's about um, these vampire sightings in Highgate Cemetery and two vampire hunters who were competing against each other to slay the vampire and to uh, heighten their reputation in the press probably is a good way of describing it, isn't it? I think so. You might have said too much. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, I've just, I've just reignited it. But it's still up there if you go want to go and listen to it. We'll tell you all one day yeah. in a live session when we've had some beer yeah. and the microphones aren't yeah, on. exactly what happened. But it got me thinking about the obsession with blood and how it sort of... It's one of those things which is kind of comes into the supernatural a lot. And if you're going to make a a supernatural film, largely you'll put blood in there. Mm. Blood is the go-to thing for uh, if you if you want to illustrate a monster, mm. you want to illustrate some sort of black magic going on. It also it's making me think it also ties into sci-fi as well. In John Carpenter's The Thing, which is one of my all-time favourite films. Um, there's that amazing scene where to kind of work out who is 
who's been infected or been taken over by this creature. They do tests with uh, heated wire and blood samples. Oh, yeah, of course. And there's that amazing scene where they kind of, they're all tied up and then they, they, they put the hot wire into somebody's blood sample and the blood just basically runs off. It's amazing. Well, so there's a lot of animals that rely on blood, and I'm not going to talk about those because that is an evolutionary thing. Right. Like, obviously, vampire bats exist because blood is actually a great source of nutrition. Lots of iron. Yeah, lots of iron. And you can you can pretty much sustain yourself, as vampire bats have proven. And there's, there's also a vampire bird, which I'd forgotten about, Ooh, but I, I remember. About the vampire yeah, bird. yeah, it feeds off um, cattle. It basically just nibbles into cattle. Has it got a weird beak or anything? Or you wouldn't? Would you know if you saw one? He's got a finchy type beak. I mean, (laughs) would you know if you saw? No, you probably wouldn't. They look fairly innocuous, but I mean, it's a bit gross. But you know, it's just what it's animals, isn't it? Yeah, it's life. But this this idea of blood ingestion, it really made me think. And whilst I was pondering on it, I walked past the (laughs) on my way to the pub. And uh, there's a big sign which says to the Catholic Church. And, of course, that has an association with blood, and it just clicked with me. Of course, yeah. The Eucharist. Yeah. So I thought we'd just have a little look at blood, and uh, obviously I've got some vampire stories, but what people have written about it and what some of the blood cults um, were involved in and what medical people think, because I think it puts us on... Of course, and and I think it's particularly pertinent because the last couple of weeks we've been talking about uh, the sort of your background beliefs Mm. and my background belief about blood is it very much belongs inside you and I get quite upset when it comes out of me. Yeah, I'm quite squeamish about (laughs) that. I'm quite squeamish. Uh, I do think that it's a good idea to give blood, of course. Um, My little dog had to have quite uh, a few blood transplants from other dogs, and I didn't know that was a thing until that happened. I remember you telling me I didn't know that was a thing as well. Yeah, um, it's quite extraordinary. For anybody who doesn't know, my vet told me that the first time you transfuse a dog, they can have horse blood, which is interesting. Not the second. Not the second. Only the first time round. Any vets listening might know better. I didn't quiz my vet any harder because I was paying them by the minute to heal my dog (laughs) and not give me a science lesson and and they're quite expensive and I think Sainsbury's pet insurance might have balked if they'd uh, been invoiced for this seven minutes of giving Ben a lesson on (laughs) ins and outs of blood uh, chemistry interspecies blood sharing but like I think we all know that blood has been a thing for of ancient civilizations what i didn't know for example though that pharaohs consumed blood as a way of extending their lifespan Mm. um i'd heard about this in terms of um cleopatra but i didn't realize it was a thing and it was done as a medical procedure basically right and it was done as you know people didn't obviously understand um you know how to be- how to uh, prevent infection and things but this wasn't a uh, you know just chomp on someone's neck this was done as a proper process where fit and healthy people donated their blood to the pharaohs who were sort of elevated to a sort of demigod right. status right so i thought that was interesting and of course um in greece blood was used in the cult of the god dionysus Right. Where worshippers would drink wine mixed with animal blood as a way of divi- uh, of obtaining divine ecstasy. I mean, that's a bit like having a black pudding, I suppose. Yeah. Um, but it was that um, Christian Eucharist that I was particularly taken by because I thought, well, that's probably the most mainstream thing that I could think of in current culture. And it's sorry, just so I'm clear, that's that's taking the blood. Of- Christ, is it? It's like, so that's, like the communion thing. That's where, you, where you, yes, yeah. where, when you take the Eucharist, you take the wine yeah. and you take the bread. Yeah. And obviously, it has its origins in the Last Supper. I looked up my Bible quotes um, do this in memory of me, Luke 22 19. Right. And in the early Christian church, the Eucharist is celebrated as like a communal meal, which means members share bread and wine. A kind of, you know, a replication of the actions they believed um, Christ had. Mm. But when the church grew, this became more institutionalised. 
And I came across, and there's pages written about this guy. He's so fascinating. Thomas Aquinas in the 13th century. He was a theologian who basically decided what the idea was around this bread and the wine. Because there's some Bible quotes around what I just read you, which is basically Jesus saying, drink the blood of me, drink the uh, the flesh of me, and you will live forever. That's basically what he's saying. Right. Which does sound, you know... This is not an offensive thing to say. If anybody else was saying that in a cult, ooh, that's a bit, a bit that's weird. a bit much. Yeah, yeah. Um, but St. Thomas had this idea that the although the bread and the wine remained bread and the wine, the idea is that Christ himself is invisibly in, uh, present in what they call the accidents of the bread. I have never heard it used in that. The accidents? Yeah, wow. it, it doesn't mean the same as we think it means. It means um, within the nature of the bread, basically. Ah, within it, within its being kind of thing. Yeah. So, it's, so, sorry, does that mean it kind of takes on... So, like you said, it's just normal, you know, the version of normal wine, but in the act of going through what you're going through, it becomes something else. You're sort of... Um, for one, uh, for the purposes of this podcast, because it takes quite a lot of theology to explain, it, it's basically the ghost. It's the Holy Ghost, right? Is what's okay. happening. Right. So the bread doesn't change, the wine doesn't change, but you are imbibing God. So, so I found it in a Christian Q and A. Um, <laughs> when he takes the host into his mouth and physically chews it, is he chewing up Jesus? The, the answer is no, no. <laughs> right, right. Um, but you do have to do some theological brain olympics to get to that point because you do say this is the blood of christ this is the body of christ so there is still that symbolism there it is sort of blood symbolism isn't it i mean yeah, there's no yeah. there's no escaping because we yeah. do use the word blood we do have red wine we yeah. don't use white wine and yeah. there's a reason for that yeah 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 um i think this guy is fascinating by the way he was commissioned by the pope to write different celebration songs for the Eucharist. And um, he was became... Red, red, white. <laughs> Did he write that one? <laughs> Imagine if he'd come back with that. Yeah. Have you got anything more Gregorian than red, red, white? UB40 could manage Gregorian, couldn't yeah, they? Yeah, could. Gregorian child. But interestingly, the reason why all the churches don't do this, and it hadn't occurred to me, is because when they split and some churches decided that they weren't going to have or didn't recognize the authority of the pope yeah then they stopped recognizing the authority of the giving of the eucharist and so that that fell away it became much more a you know tea and biscuits in the vestry i'm categorizing that if you i know you're going to shout at me people listening i don't mean it exactly that but it becomes more of a a celebration of that final supper rather than the literal yeah uh, transubstantiation piece yes. which which he which he'd argued for and i think it probably makes it more palatable to people like my gran because i always thought it's weird going into a church to drink some blood and if you don't have the ability to explain all that theology to an 11 year old it's quite scary yeah 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 i think yeah um so let's just have a look back at um because they're not the only sort of what I would call mainstream Abrahamic religions to use the 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 blood. Uh, the Knights Templar. Now, there's quite a lot I found online about them using blood as part of their initiation rites. But I will say it is also counteracted by a lot of people saying that this was a smear on their character. Right. So obviously the Knights Templar were money lenders they had they were the first people to have a sophisticated basically a system of travel checks is what they had really? for traveling across europe yeah if you gave some money to a knights templar outfit in let's say rome you could then you you were given a, a essentially a check it wasn't it was um it was a token but you could then go and spend that in a hotel that was associated with them in france then come back 
and you would bring back um, a, a tablet with you. And if you'd underpaid, you'd get some money back. And uh, Sorry, if you'd underpaid, you'd have to pay some more money. And if you overpaid, they'd give it you back. And the, the, they were very, very trustworthy at doing this. They were not rip-off rip merchants. They were a merchant system. Well, so uh, they're like American Express. Yes, they were like American Express. Well, I didn't realise that. Wow, yeah. that's incredible. But this is the reason why. Because they were going under these religious auspices... And there's very many claims about what they did. We won't go into it here. I think probably the Knights Templar is, is, is sort of goes more on to um, a lawmen type episode than here because not much of it is particularly paranormal. Yeah. But I thought it was interesting that one would, if it is a smear, use blood against them. Mm. Whereas, at the other hand, it can be used in the same religion or an associated mm. religion to go no this is this is absolutely fine drink it mm. i thought that was a weird dichotomy and again if i just want to bring it back to last week whatever your baseline belief is you kind of have to check yourself because if you go those guys drink blood and then you go so do we mm. then there's um you, you kind of got a, a bit of a problem um going on yeah it's that it's almost you you could associate blood interesting that isn't it just even as a word in this context what comes to mind because you could think satanic yeah my, my, when you were talking um through various bits I, like i already said my my mind was in uh, horror films and the famous scene in the shining and all that kind of stuff and yeah, then you've got much. you've got this kind of religious worship type angle to it as well so it's it's ubiquitous in that way i guess it is and then it gets because of its um this mythical nature that we put into it it starts being almost abused have you heard of the cult of carly no nor would i it's it's a british it's well it had a lot of british members and it started in the 80s carly spelled k-a-l-i and it was about um, worshipping the Hindu goddess Kali, who is associated with death, death and destruction. Yeah. And members of this cult believe that blood sacrifice and self-mutilation, and indeed animal sacrifice, would appease this god. And I found a trail. There was a murder on Wimbledon Common of a woman called Rachel Nickel. Yes. Now, I sort of remember that name. Yeah. And the media linked her murder to the group, although this was never proven. Right. And it sort of pulled the cult of Carly apart a bit. Some of its members continue to practice now more in secret, but it was interesting that it could have been like a satanic panic. Yeah. But there were various points about that murder that did relate to somebody doing something nefarious with the body. Mm -hmm. Which is, you know... Who and knows? I think if I remember that case, there were there were lots of mistakes, wasn't there? Because they there were. There, there were people arrested and cleared, and there was all kinds of stuff going on. So it sounds like it was right from the start, because that must have been quite early on. It was it was uh, a difficult case for them to nail down, by the sounds of it. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. absolutely. Um, and then when you come across all of the. Um, the elements around like criminals and stuff you very quickly bump up against a very well-known case but richard chase i think it's worth mentioning here the vampire of sacramento mm. who was blood drinker and he was cannibalistic so when he mentioned to the police why he was drinking blood he cited that it allowed him to connect to the divine it was enhancing his spiritual powers right where does that belief come from? It, it, there's, you know, it's in all of our society, as we've just been speaking about. Really interesting. Um, when we talk about real-life vampires, we, we sort of recognise their communities. I say real-life vampires. I'm talking about people who live in a world where they really do drink blood. Yeah. They come from tight-knit communities that form around either leaders or ideas. They don't like talking about it because it's stigmatised. And they talk themselves... Now, I have to be really careful here. I've got some scientific stuff, so I'm not going to put words into mouths of anybody. But they, they live as if they were real, real vampires, as per the way that Bram Stoker 
had written about them. Right. They don't like light. They like to sleep in a coffin. Um, they might have the earth from their home, their home city in yeah. there. It mm. all starts feeling like a complex belief system that is built around this idea of what blood can do for you. Yeah, I, it's. I think what's interesting about that is the the blood bit. I kind of get. It's the other bits of you know the the coffin, the, all that stuff. Because really, coming from this work of fiction, or do they think there's something else going on there with the book? Is there more of a? Is it? Are they finding? It, do they know it's fiction, but are finding something spiritual in it, or has it got more relevance to them than that? Well, once again, it's like you've read my notes, <laughs> okay. and I promise, dear reader, you right. haven't. Okay. Take this study from 2003, published by the Journal of Psychiatric Research. In it looked into the motivations and character, characteristics of individuals involved in vampirism. The study used qualitative interviews and self-report surveys to gather data from 22 self-identified vampires in the United States. That must have been a hell of a research well, project to find them, right? I think that was part of the problem. My heart sank a bit when I saw 22, but yeah. I thought, well, how are you going to find 200? Yeah, yeah. The authors found that most participants had a history of childhood trauma or abuse and saw their vampire identities as a way of coping with those experiences. Right. Another study from 2015 published in the Journal of Sex Research surveyed individuals who identified again as real-life vampires to investigate their beliefs and practices. The study in this case used online surveys and found that many participants believed that they needed to consume blood or energy, so we are talking energy vampires here, some people do identify right. as that, right. to maintain their physical and mental health. One additional study from 2017, which comes from the Journal of Forensic and Legal Medicine, investigated a case of a man who contracted HIV through blood consumption during a vampire-like ritual. The authors concluded that he understood that consuming blood carried significant health risks, including the transmission of HIV and blood-borne infections, but he didn't care. It didn't matter to him. And this is kind of really important. The, the belief that he needed it to live over, overrid the intelligent intellectual side which said if you do this you might can you might catch aids but I I, I I could be wrong but I, I thought you couldn't that way i thought it couldn't be transmitted by if you've consumption. got if you are playing with blood so if you are cutting somebody else and you have a cut on your finger or you have a cut on your right, mouth so it's not it's not I, I get you i get you yeah yeah fine so he he contracted it somehow yeah okay. through those means yeah. probably likely a cut yeah no it wouldn't be through the ingestion you're right but um, hepatitis and stuff of yeah course. yeah absolutely and uh, and yes it's it's interesting that isn't it that i oh, can i just take you back to what you mentioned energy vampires mm. in a I get the concept of an energy vampire in a paranormal sense as an entity. A real-life energy vampire. I was just curious if you knew how that worked. Yes. So, obviously, there isn't any bloodletting there. Those people identify as energy vampires can do it in a number of ways. They can have donors who they believe they can get the energy from by right. touching them or feeling them or um, performing rituals around them. Or some people believe that they can get it from being in a room where people are maybe chanting, creating some right. kind of, um, I guess, a transmission vessel yeah. Yeah. between them and the energy. But it's even more spurious than um, vampires that drink blood because although the energy vampire, it, it was just a reference in many early works, people would sort of... Yes, you might say he's an energy vampire, but that's just because he's boring. And when he comes in the room, everyone shuts up. This energy vampire thing is very much a self-association thing of modern day. Right, right. That's what I'm concluding right. from what I'm reading. Even from a paranormal sense rather than a self-identifying oh, sense. Oh, I see. From a paranormal sense. No, I'm not covering those. It's possible. Fine. We'll come on to like real energy vampires, another one. This is about... Like people who Fine. believe that they are vampires. Who have that belief. I mean, it's interesting because it is... You can see the themes that would make it attractive 
in that sense because exactly what how you started this off there's this this well there's this connection with deity and holiness and power the power that that gives mm. and even consuming it within a church is almost taking in in some ways the power <laughs> of Christ you know what i mean in the yeah. christian example um and also it's used as a powerful imagery the other side where we were talking about it in movies so there is a sense of control and power around blood i guess there is i think what the church did was turn it into something which was um it was about partaking in an idea mm. and this just helped you partake in an idea mm. this is partaking in an idea but it's much more um it's much more physical, isn't it? Yeah. I'm going to go on to some people who self-identify, but they don't do it within a large community. What all of those people tended to have um, in common with each other was that they were from a community of vampires. Those right. studies. It's like va vampire club. Yeah. Yes. The online ones, maybe less so, but the in-person ones are so. Yeah. But this tells you the idea... The allure of wanting to be special and wanting to be different, that came up in those uh, those cases there, you know, childhood trauma, um, perhaps not fitting in with groups. This is a group that you might identify. Remember when we spoke about the conspiracy theories? Yeah. That group is likely to believe them. Yes, yeah. This is great, though. Darkness Vlad Tepes. Great name. It's not his real name. No. He changed it by deep. <laughs> no. <laughs> this is from the Lanx Telegraph of all places. He changed it by deep to John Smith. <laughs> <laughs> He's been living as a vampire for 13 years. Yeah. And sleeps Good in, number for a vampire. Yes. And lives in a custom-made coffin. Yeah. And he says that he has to drink cow, pig, and human blood substitute... So he doesn't drink human blood substitute because it, he's sort of known and it's illegal. So Is that, is that a plasma-based beverage? <laughs> I don't know. It's like true blood from that, that it does, TV doesn't it? show. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Or Count Duckula with his character juice. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm interested in his coffin now. Is there any pictures of his coffin? That I'll, I'll get you some pictures of his coffin. Yeah, well, he, and for those of you who watch us on YouTube, we'll put them on social media, but if you watch the YouTube version, we'll try and drop some of them he, in. He is it, is it a padded, lovely place? Not really. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, but his sort of turning point that he cites, his life changed when... And I don't want to particularly laugh at this, but this shows... What this this illustrates what I was talking to there about about belonging to a group. It's just British names make it sound ridiculous. <laughs> right, yeah. His life changed when he went for a drink with friends a pub in Old Os Os Oswald Whistle. Oswald, <laughs> oh, I hadn't said that out loud before this. How do you say that? Oswald Whistle. Oswald Whistle. Oswald Os Whistle. I, I don't know how you'd say that. O S O S W A L D. Oswald. T W I S T L E. Os Whistle. Could it be a twizzle? Os That would be even more ridiculous, wouldn't Twist it? No, because it's got a T L E. Os Twistle. Os Twistle. Where, where is it? Is it Lancashire? He he realised it when he went for a drink in a pub in Lancashire. <laughs> it was just the name. <laughs> but he said he was openly abused because of the way he dressed. And that forced him more into this lifestyle. And obviously that's what I said. I don't want to laugh. Like you, we can laugh at the name of the Lancashire place because I can't pronounce it. Yeah. But that being forced into something is obviously terrible. And to go to being a vampire and then telling local papers you're going to be a vampire, yeah. there is something there. We've never had, we've never gone that far when we've been in the pub, have we? No, no, no. <laughs> it's more. Should we go and get a pizza? <laughs> um, by the way, you just reminded me of something, Ben. Mm -hmm. Talking about um, things we can't pronounce, um, I realised we made a massive error on last week's show. What 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 was the error? I, I'm surprised we haven't had hate mail about it. We described the number ten cat as Humphrey the cat. Is it not? 
Larry the cat. Oh, Larry. Yeah, I realised that after we'd recorded it. So, any, any fans of Larry the cat, I think he's got his own Twitter account, right? He has, I should have checked. Yeah, so um, we, we do apologise to Larry personally for the mistake that we made personally. last week. Personally. Personally. <laughs> is Arthur Kit again? And, and, Arthur Kit. And our, our <laughs> listeners who are fans of Larry. I'm a fan of Larry, even though I got his name wrong. Yeah. But that's a modern day guy, right? Previous vampires didn't really get into the spirit of going down the pub and then thinking they had to live in a coffin. Yeah. But they got to drink red, right? They must. They must. They must have a glass of red when they go to the pub, mustn't they? Well, uh, I'm sure they do. Yeah. But what if the rest of society believes that vampires exist, or at least that blood is special, and then this happens? Right. It's another name, Jura Grando. That's, that's how I'm going to say it. Is that a real name? Yes. Oh. He is recorded to have lived in a small Istrian village. I check this. You're going to want to know where Istria is, aren't you? (laughs) Basically Croatia. Right. A place called Kringa during the 17th century. Very little is known about his life. but And he might have just been an ordinary poor villager, according to my source. But some sources claim that he was a very nasty character. Right. In 1656, Grando died. And he was... uh, he was buried in the local cemetery by the village priest, as you would imagine. Mm-hmm. Father Giorgio is his name. Shortly That's straight out of a movie, isn't it? Father Giorgio. <laughs> yeah. It's a good name for a father. Yeah. Shortly after Grando's burial, however, it was reported by the local population that the deceased had been seen wandering around the village and even knocking on the doors of certain houses. Right. Now... Ooh, you yeah, know what that's making me think? Black-eyed kids. Yes, and also... With black-eyed kids and vampires, there's that thing you have to invite them in. Oh, yes, of course. Yes. Well, and take their shoes off. Yeah. So according to... Now, the name is just ridiculous. I'm not even going to say it. A 17th century natural historian, so he's contemporary at the time. Yeah. He says that the people living in the countryside of the Istrian Peninsula believed in a type of vampire known as a strigon. A strigon. Strigon. Oh, I didn't know there were different types. No. These are believed to have been sorcerers who fed on the blood of children during their lifetimes. When they died, they became the undead strigon and wandered around the villages around midnight. The strigon is said to have a habit of knocking on the doors and houses, and within a few days, someone from the house would die. It seems like this description fits the story of June, uh, Jura Grando or was perhaps derived from it. And this is the problem right. with these stories. But it seems like there was a scare and this guy was seen to be, um, you know, going around doing nefarious things. And the instant thing was, oh, he's one of those vampire things. Right. See, the problem I've got now, whenever you've been telling these stories, I just hark back to last week and that... That, that theory that the Middle Ages didn't exist. So there's a bit, <laughs> there's a bit of me when these stories come out. I'm going, was this just some some you know fictional writer who had to fill in the gaps for the Middle Ages? And they've gone, no, nobody's going to believe this. He got bet. Well, so you're telling me that people will believe he got buried, got dug up, and then wanders around the village. Yeah, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. We Knock got people. We doors. got a lot of history to fill. Yeah. Wow. But that that comes from a place of cultural belief right it made me think about um when you brought up the mexican president taking pictures yeah, of yeah, the yeah. the tree beings yeah i and uh again you may come onto this or or you may not but as far as i understand it this kind of the sexualization of the vampire that that is firmly at bram stoker's door right it is pretty much although a lot of people sort of say it's about STDs and obviously there's a connection there between syphilis and having sex with naughty ladies of the night yeah like what happened in Bram Stoker's book I mean yes wasn't it, it about a bit, I guess it depends on the interpretation of it because there's also a sexual liberation angle to it as well is there not yeah there is there is yeah. there is um yes Bram Stoker's book is probably the sexiest vampire book yeah but okay. Um, I, 
I think the STD thing, when you look into it, it's an accepted thing, and it's probably what an English teacher would expect you to write if you were writing a book right. about Bram Stoker, yeah. uh, an essay about Bram Stoker. But in these cases, it's less about the sexually transmitted thing. I mean, that's kind of... It's interesting there that I just said that guy did catch AIDS and he, he didn't care. Yeah, yeah. But I thought... I just wanted to juxtapose that um, description of our 17th century grave undigger mm. with... I found this brilliant interview in the New York Times, uh, which is a long way from the Lanx Telegraph. And in 19... Uh, uh, actually, this is an interview from 2011... And they speak to a guy called um, Murticus. That's a good name for a vampire as well, isn't it? have got good names, vampires. You've got to give them that. He has been a, what he calls, he identifies as a real vampire since 1997. Right. And speaks eloquently and passionately about what vampirism is and is not. He says it is not a cult, a religion, a dangerous practice, a paraphilia, an offshoot of the BDSM community, a community of disillusioned teenagers, and definitely not what is depicted in fictional books, movies, or television. Right, okay. That's interesting, though, because mm. he's, he's right in identifying those cliches, in a way. For him, they would be cliches, right? They would. So he's an antique stealer. Right. And I love the way that um, journalists put this in. He's married, got two dogs. <laughs> 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 he's one of exceptionally few vampires... Uh, to be open about his identity. I hate hide in plain sight, he explains. For almost a decade, he has personally worked with academics, social scientists, psychologists, lawyers, blah blah blah, blah to understand the vampire subculture. He's an Atlanta native, and he is known as Murticus both legally and personally. And, and I like this particular detail on his Starbucks card. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, oh, I'd love to see that. Uh, can I have your name, please? Yeah, it's Murticus. Can you spell that for me? <laughs> oh, that is really... Also had a vision of, you know, I'm Murticus. No, I'm Murticus. <laughs> yeah. What does he order from Starbucks, I wonder? Oh, yeah, what's red? Um, nothing. Nothing no, Unless you're going to go fruit kind of smoothie. He doesn't sound like a fruit Murtic smoothie Murticus kind of doesn't drink smoothies. Yeah. yeah. He dresses in head to toe in black. So goth rather than vampire? Yeah, but he's very clear to point out that he doesn't wear coloured lenses or fang prosthetics. Right. Cheap. Yeah. In fact, he's keen to say that he isn't into it because vampirism is cool. Sorry, were you calling him cheap then? <laughs> no, no, those, thing, those things are cheap. Oh, I see. I thought, yeah. I thought you were saying, he doesn't because want... he he's like, I'm not spending out on those. I don't want Murticus <laughs> coming around I really, here. I really thought you were calling him a cheapskate. <laughs> <laughs> no, those things would make him look cheap. Right. He says real vampires don't care much for pop culture buzz. And most don't look like the stereotype. Right. He estimates 35% of real vampires are into goth. I don't know how he does that, but... <laughs> that's, that's quite specific. They also sneer at lifestylers, which they call fashion vampires or posers. Oh, that's interesting. So there's division with, within the subculture. Let's call it a subculture, yeah. There is. Yeah. But the crucial thing that he comes out with is... He says most people are able to maintain healthy energy levels through diet, exercise, social interactions. God, he does like a sentence with lots of uh, yeah. commas in it. And the occasional cappuccino. We had to develop alternative... <laughs> That's what he drinks in Starbucks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, there we go. Um, they had to develop alternative means to sate our energy needs. It's not always blood, but it is often blood. And they call themselves sanguinarians. That's quite good as well. And the energy vampires who call themselves, um, well, they, they, they just call themselves psychic vampires. Um, I misread my notes there. <laughs> but they drain life force, known as prana or chi, rather than blood. Right. But to, to your point, they don't identify with any fictional characters, right. supernatural powers, immortality, none of that. They just need it as a top-up to their what their body needs it, it, it what i was thinking while you were talking about it maybe they just have a kind of iron deficiency and this is a way of 
topping it up. This is like an extreme Holland and Barrett situation. Well, the article does go on to say that he is perfectly healthy yeah. and doesn't appear to have um, a deficiency. But there is something that might explain it. Okay. Renfield syndrome. Right. So this is a psychiatric illness, and I found a document about it in the National Library of Medicine. The National Library of Medicine has a lot of very useful things There's for some our good purposes. good stuff in there, yeah. Yeah. So you remember Renfield from Dracula. Mm. So this is the term for clinical vampirism, named after the, uh, the mythical character, and is a recognisable, although rare, clinical entity Characterised by people, shouldn't have used entity, should we? <laughs> no, well, I, I'm, I'm pulling, I'm, t- I'm taking a direct extra. No, no, extract, no, 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 they shouldn't have used it. Yeah. No, no, I. It's um. There's a lot of big words in here, which sort of, oh, they always do. Yeah. But it's characterised by periodic compulsive blood drinking, affinity with the dead, and uncertain identi- identity. It is hypothetically the expression of in- inherited archaic myth the act of taking blood being a ritual that gives temporary relief yeah. um and they also point out that ancient times vampirists had given substantial belief to the existence of supernatural vampires this is something that a lot of these people with renfield's disease hook onto. now the fact that um what did, what did i call him Mer- Mer- i got i've got get his name wrong Merticus says that he doesn't identify with this is equally acknowledged in that in this document because they are often referenced. Now that means that poor old Berticus can't win. Yeah, exactly. He said, yeah, you, yeah. "You say you've got uh, Renfield's disease. No, I haven't because I don't talk like those other people who yeah, identify yeah. as the vampire yeah. cultists." Ah, but you've just pointed that out. I, uh, sorry, just so I'm clear, is that a? Are they saying that's a psychological condition, or are they saying there's something? It is physical, right? No, it's a psychological condition. They call it social pathology. There is no known reason for this happening they take four specific cases including one person who became um, a murderer and they look at yes sometimes there is a problem in the family background Mm. sometimes it can be identified that they've picked this up through um through child abuse or whatever but some people like Merticus, there is no Mm. reason they just identify with it it becomes a personal part of them I mean, I know nothing about Merticus apart from what you've just told me, but he does sound a bit of a dude. He does sound like a bit of a dude, doesn't yeah. he? I, I was also got me thinking... You wouldn't stay over, though. No, but it also got me thinking of... Um, I started... I, I, you can just say that I'm going off at a complete tangent, but I, I started thinking when you go back in time about our obsession with now cooking meat that we used to eat more raw meat, which would include <laughs> the bloody elements yes. of it. Oh, yes. And now we have kind of a weird relationship with raw meat. It's kind of probably here, it's only mildly acceptable, you know, in a steak tartare or something like that. But, um, yes, I wonder I wonder if there's something in that. There's obviously something, yeah, we stopped eating raw meat when we learned how to cook but is there something in that we stopped eating raw meat when we learned to cook unless you were an underclass i discovered oh really yeah there was um a piece in the paper just after christmas about some remains that were were found outside stonehenge and it seems like they'd discovered that two people there had died by eating the entrails of pigs right. uh, that were poisonous. And basically, they were having a big pig feast. So those must have been the servants who had only that bit to eat. Right, so it was a, a hierarchical... There was yeah. potentially a hierarchical thing. Yeah. But I think this comes into... There's this mysterious thing within us that some people have elevated to be a tamer of gods, a mm. a gift from gods, and... If you were particularly lucky, you could be a vampire and perhaps live forever. Mm. And wouldn't it be cool to be, to say at a dinner party, actually, this is my friend Merticus, uh, he's a vampire. Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh my God, do you live forever? No, God, we always get that stereotype. 
Are you going to bite my arm? Yes, probably. Or, although there'd be a conspiracy theory when you say, what do you do? And he goes, I'm an antique dealer. Oh, you <laughs> do live forever, don't you? <laughs> I've seen Highlander. I know how this works. <laughs> I hadn't thought of that. That's that's very true. Ooh. Yeah. But how long have you had this antique? Oh, since new. <laughs> <laughs> so, so there have been doctors who have tried to contain into a condition Renfields. Yeah. There are others who have tried to work out why you would have a subculture but not necessarily drink blood. Mm. Well, that appears to be around, you know, obviously it's a belief system. Yeah. That belief system then encouraged people to believe that people were coming back from the dead when they probably weren't. Yeah. And then you've got this sort of idea that the gods want something from us or can give us something, and the way to do that is via blood. And and then if you add a more... Then you add Bram Stoker, who almost kind of, in that time, sexes it up a bit. Um, and then in modern day, you know, I mean, in true blood, the you know, the, the vampires are hunky and cool and sexy or just sexy and... Um, yeah, yeah, because I, I think if I remember, it's been a while since I've seen True Blood, but I think I think they said if you gave non-vampires vampire blood, they just become incredibly sexy. I seem to remember something like that. Maybe yeah, that, yeah. Maybe that's my mind. But um, so when you add a kind of, you know, a sexual potency or uh, strong sexuality that's associated with it as well. It almost makes it irresistible the way you're describing it. Apart it from me being squeamish about blood, I'd, I'd be, you know, interested. <laughs> well, if you're, well, I know you do have a, a teenage daughter, but my friends with teenage daughters have to screen their uh, their Halloween costumes because you cannot buy a non-sexy right. female vampire. Right. Or female witch costume, and yeah, they're not very subtle. Yes, yeah, and there's something there in the psychology of yeah. vampires and women are sexy. Yeah, which is yeah. is not for now, but that is a it's a slightly disturbing thing. That, well, it's interesting that you know, fancy dress in a way could is a kind of bastion of that in a way. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> but in tripi- typical typical. Tripical. Tripical. Totally tripical taste. Is this a new vampire name? <laughs> I'm no, tripical. <laughs> it's it's a name for an excellent chocolate. Yeah. Um I thought I would just I because along my way, what I do is I sort of make notes on the story and then put side notes on did anything interesting uh come up which we should talk about. I came across a whole load of little small stories about British vampires I never heard of. Ooh. These okay. are fun. Go on. The Birmingham Vampire. Right. It's always there, isn't it? <laughs> All right. Can I come in? <laughs> <laughs> you do do a good slade. <laughs> Thank you. January 2005, residents in the combined areas of Saltley, Small Heath, Allen Rock areas of Birmingham were attacked by a man who bit them. On one occasion... He attacked a, when he attacked a passerby, neighbours came to the rescue of the victim and tried to apprehend the man, but he was said to have unusual strength, fighting them off and making his escape. No arrests were made. Ooh, that sounds weird. The Surrey Vampire. I can't do a Surrey accent. I don't know what a Surrey accent is. No, I is. don't know either. That's why I can't Is that do Birds one. of a Featherland? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. We only live here. A woman claimed that on three separate occasions over three months in 1938, she was attacked by some kind of vampire. The flying creature attempted to bite her neck in the same location in Thornton Heath. Maybe don't go. Uh, sorry, I, I, I thought you meant on the same location on her neck. No, well, no, but you, no. mean, you mean Thornton Heath. Yes, I mean Thornton Heath. Yeah. Many people believed it was an animal which may have escaped from a zoo or the, private the, menagerie. Well, yeah, flying. Yeah. But the mystery was never solved. Wow. That, Second World War got in the way, didn't that's, it? That's weird, though, a flying one. That's the first, yeah, okay. Um, and the Kroglin vampire. Kroglin. And that's in Cumbria. Right, can't do that either. Um, with a brown, shriveled face and long, bony hands. Yeah. 
not me. It attacked young girls in the early years uh, after the English Civil War. The story goes that a Miss Cranswell was forced to the ground and bitten on the neck after a horrifying figure climbed into her bedroom through a window. Mm. Her two brothers gave chase with pistols, but it moved too fast. Th- that would have been... That's pre-Bram Stoker, way, way before, right? Oh, yeah. So, so, and that feels... That feels quintessentially Bram Stoker-esque. That'd be interesting to see if those kind of legends had influenced him. Because, you know, you think of the climbing in the the window, that's 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 almost a vampire trope now, isn't it? It is, it is. But um, can you guess what they dismissed it as? It's going to be something just completely weird, isn't it? Like um... No, a lunatic. it's all right it's just a lunatic thought it was going to be a flying kangaroo with wings nope just a lunatic but when the creature returned and attacked again one brother managed to fire his pistol hitting it in the leg as it again escaped the villagers banded together and went to the local graveyard where they found a vault with all the coffins smashed but one Mm. inside was a mummified shriveled corpse with a leg badly damaged by a pistol ball. Oh, it's a perfect ending. That was the lunatic. But that, I'm sorry, that's what, what, what year did you say? That is, that's the one that's pre-Bram Stoker, is that? Yeah, yeah, it's just after the British Civil, English Civil War. Because yeah. again, that seems like more Stoker-esque. You've got the crypts and the, wow, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, no, I. That's fascinating. Actually. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess it wouldn't be the only, only one like that, mm. but, um. The last one I will tell you about, mm-hmm. um, because it has um, it has church records, which I always oh, find good, good, like the yeah, green yeah, yeah. the green children. Yeah, uh, this one's in Buckinghamshire, and it was recorded by William of Newber, Newburg. New, I'm going to say Newburg. Say Newburg in the 12th century. Historical records show that Saint Hugh, the Bishop of Lincoln, was called upon to deal with the terrifying revenant and learned to his astonishment after co- contacting other theologians that similar attacks had happened elsewhere in England. Since Hugh was told no peace would be had until the corpse was dug up and burned, but it was decided that an absolution, a declaration of forgiveness by the church, absolving one from sin, would be more seemly way to disable the vampire. It's not good luck, is it? No. Burning a body in the outside of the church. Yeah. When the tomb was opened, the body was found to have not decomposed. The absolution was laid inside on the corpse's chest by the archdeacon, and the vampire was never seen again wandering from his grave. The Buckinghamshire Revenant did not have a vampire burial, but such practices are long-standing beliefs in England. Well, that's true, we know this. Yeah. Um, there's a Yorkshire village in Warren Percy where there is a vampire buried, and it's done properly with right. the... Um, uh, the coffin uh, sometimes it's got um uh, like a cage over it sometimes it's buried head first wow uh and there's another vampire very close which dates back to the 14th century and it shows signs of camp cannibalism which in 2017 was shown that it probably was due to uh, a famine or a massacre in the village right. and not so much down Nothing to a vampire. Paranormal. No, no. I, I hadn't heard about the um, coffins with cages. That's quite a strong image, isn't it? Yeah, there's over a hundred of these, wow. and they're done in different ways. Sometimes the head is removed, as I say. Sometimes buried upside down with the head down is pretty nasty, yeah. but you can see why they do it. Yeah. But the vampire cages are pretty good. Some people incorrectly identify some cages as vampire cages when they're actually it's because the person's been buried with some treasure, and it's the stop treasure hunters. Right. I thought you were going to say buried with some lobsters. <laughs> oh, they'd go off really quickly. They, would, they won't be good. But, I, I think what's, what's amazing about those stories is I didn't realise that, that some of the... I'm going to call them tropes because I can't think of a different word. It's not, it's not the right word for it. But some of, some of that background stuff that we associate with vampires today was around back then, you know, when you yeah. were talking about... That last story, the idea of the you know the cross repe- repelling them, and interesting you said about putting on the chest, you know, because you think of driving a, a stake through the yeah through yeah. the heart that you can see how it it kind of ties together. Where I think I almost had a 
um, a stereotypical view that it it all stemmed from Bram Stoker, but it 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 obviously didn't. Oh, what's his name? Mazarus. What was he called? Yeah, he would. Um, he'd be saying that's typical of you, not kind of understanding. <laughs> he'd be no. having a right old go at me at the dinner party. <laughs> Now get out of my way! I'm buying a coffee. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why we've got this idea as coffee. Oh, because he's got a Starbucks cup. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I, I think I thought it was interesting just to look at when you lay on belief systems. The belief system around blood and vampirism is probably as deeply ingrained as the ghosts of the dead, mm-hmm. and um, you know the other things that we've spoken about, which could colour our views and when you look at a unified theory of if all paranormal is in some way connected which i'm becoming more to the view that it is Mm. then maybe these things are a distraction i mean they're fun to look at and they're no fun for people with um renfield's disease and they're certainly no fun if you're chased out of a pub because you look different Mm. which is obviously wrong i'll just reiterate i'm not laughing at him And it drives people to grasp at straws. Mm. And if those belief systems are in the same, sort of believed in the same way that um, conspiracy theories are, you can see how they grow. Yeah, and interesting with some of the descriptions of self-proclaimed real-life vampires, there's almost a rejection of the paranormal side of it, it sounded like. Maybe I'm reading too much into that. Yeah, no, there is, there is, you're right. Yeah, the, the... you know, we're not kind of into all that weird stuff. It, it's it, it's almost more, and I don't know why I'm saying this, but it, it reminded me of more of a, it's more a kind of pagan thing than a paranormal thing, it seemed like. Yeah, it is, it is. And there will be countless, countless examples. Countless. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Which I haven't covered here of um, blood sacrifices, bloodletting, um, I even found something where we know that fairies were considered to be vampiric at some point. Right. It was just the beliefs and where they come from that I was uh, scratching today. Yeah. For your bank holiday blood fest. Well, you can see... Um, sorry, uh, you can see this idea of... I, I always think of countries that have vampire bats and, you know, they're not picky whether they go for animals or humans it'll be whoever's around you know there must have been many people who'd woken up with a seeing that thing chomping on their leg or something that (laughs) that would just freak you out wouldn't it yeah i mean that does there is something demonic looking about a bat full stop let alone a vampire bat well vampire bats are very ugly yeah yeah well that was really uh that was a really interesting angle on the vampire I, I didn't know i knew very little about real life vampires and as the episode went on i realized i knew even less about the folklore of vampires <laughs> so thank you that was really good no thank you um we'll revisit them because there's there's much more to be done but now we know the belief systems we can then look into um like some of the individual cases which are fascinating yeah and also sorry my last point was I'd also not really thought of energy vampires in the in that more stereotypical view of a vampire. Yeah. I always thought any kind of entity could be an energy vampire. I didn't realise there was a true kind of vampiric subculture, real subculture around it as well. So that's fascinating. Yeah, well, the first time I realised that was watching... Um what we do in the shadows, which has a, mm. a an energy vampire in it, yeah. and then I realised it was bigger than I thought. I honestly, genuinely thought all references to energy vampires were just boring people. I didn't ask what that meant. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, I hope you enjoyed uh, this week's blood curdling episode. And um, yep, like, subscribe, recommend, do everything that you're doing. We really appreciate it. And uh, we'll be back next bank holiday Monday in the UK with more quantum mechanics wear your crown yeah with we, yeah maybe we should do something right royal oh, so now I'll tell you what we'll provide an, an alternative to the right royalness right oh that, but see they've got blue blood so that's that's a whole new angle to think about is that reptilian yeah maybe maybe yeah. 
All right. Well, if we're, if we're not in the Tower of London, we'll be back next week. We'll see you later. See you later. Bye. Bye. the quantum mechanics.